continuing our series through the book of Acts. We've reached Acts 16 now, a pivotal point perhaps in uh, the book of Acts, but also in the journeys of Paul, the Apostle Paul and his companions. And today we're going to focus on one of his companions in particular, uh, what you might call Terrific Timothy. Terrific Timothy. I think Timothy is one of the most underrated characters in the New Testament. My favourite underestimated character is Apollos. My second, perhaps, underrated character is Timothy. I think there's a lot to learn from Timothy, and we're going to do our best and see what we can learn from simply five verses at the beginning of Acts 16 here. So, terrific Timothy, a courageous humility. That even rhymes. Oh yeah, terrific Timothy, a courageous humility. I don't know if that helps you, but there you go. Um, let's read our passage and let's see what we might gain from it today, what God might reveal and show us that we need from this passage today. Acts 16 and uh, beginning in <coughs> verse 1. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him, that's Timothy. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they moved from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So, I love this verse, so, the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. What a terrific verse and a good aim or a good goal or a good prayer for all of us that we would be strengthened in the faith and grow daily in numbers or as often as much as God might want us to be added to. That's entirely really up to him. So a bit of background first before we dig into the detail. Um, where are we? We are, so Paul, Paul and um, Barnabas and others have been in Jerusalem sort of down off the map here to the right. They've been down there. Why? Because there's been a big council in Jerusalem, which Stephan preached about about a month or so ago now, or thereabouts. A big council there trying to reconcile the issues of how should a Gentile Christian live, given that it's, Christianity came out of Judaism. Jewish Christians wanted a lot of the Gentile, or some of them wanted Gentile Christians to live like Jews as well as Christians. Big kerfuffle about that. Could have split the church but they reconciled all the issues in Jerusalem. And so Paul and others are now traveling back from Jerusalem up through these areas, delivering the report because there was no email in those days. They couldn't send a one-page summary document as a PDF to all the churches in those days. So they had to go by foot or by boat or by donkey or whatever and deliver the news in person. And so we find Paul back in this area where, of course, he was working in Acts chapter, say, 13 and 14, where he's been and planted these churches. And we won't go back over the incidents of what happened there, although a lot of it was glorious, preaching the gospel, converting many people, and a lot of it was very dangerous. 
Paul being persecuted and even at one point stoned and left for dead. He goes back to his churches to deliver <coughs> the, um, the instructions from the meeting in Jerusalem, which brings a lot of gladness to the church there. And he finds Timothy. He finds Timothy there. And Timothy is someone that I think he already knows. Now the people there speak well of him in they speak well of him. He's in Lystra and Iconium. So it's interesting that he's in Lystra, but the people in Iconium speak well of him. That's 18 miles away. I mean, to have a reputation in another church says something about Timothy, given that distance. And given that 18 miles in the first century was kind of further than 18 miles in the 21st century, in the sense of just how, how much effort it takes to travel that far. And, and even for news, again, to travel. But that's not our main point today. Uh, turn over with me to 2 Timothy chapter uh, 1 for a little bit more context. Get your Bible out there, or lean over with somebody else if you don't have one with you. 2 Timothy and chapter 1. A bit more about this family that we're encountering, Timothy and his family. This is Paul writing now to Timothy at a later date, after Timothy has been trained and is now responsible, it seems, for leading a church in Ephesus. He says, I thank God in verse 3, 2 Timothy 1 verse 3, as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience, night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. So Timothy is with Paul for the long haul here. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. It looks like Paul converted Timothy. It looks like Paul converted Lois first, the grandmother, and then the mother, and then Timothy. So it looks like Paul knows the family really well. He must have converted them in one of his earlier journeys, on times there in Lystra and in that, that area from earlier in the book of Acts. So Paul has a relationship with Timothy, and now, now what's happening? Now what's happening is Paul senses that it's time for a new chapter in Timothy's life. Timothy, you're, you're amazing. You're wonderful. You've got a great family. I, I, I think highly of you. Other people think highly of you. Paul used to have John Mark with him, but John Mark is now with Barnabas, right? It's like, I've got a slot. It's like, I've got one space, Timothy. I think you're the man for this slot to come with me as I go on from these places to new places because God's taking me to new, new territory. Why don't you come with me? So I'm going to look at two simple things today about Timothy. Going to focus on Timothy. So, firstly, the courage and the humility to be trained. Courage and humility. Courage and humility. Not going to get very far in life without courage and without humility. Uh, a lot of problems created when when there is a lack of courage and a lack of humility. We can get through life without it, but we create a lot more problems with, in our own lives and for other people. When there's a lack of spiritual courage and and spiritual humility, but I must admit in talking about these two topics, I feel considerably underqualified to talk about it, and I find this to be a tremendous challenge. I don't believe courage is one of my key characteristics in my personality, nor humility. I think, and God has helped me to grow in those, I think there's still quite a lot of space to grow into in these, and I expect that the same for all of us here. But what can we learn about the spiritual benefits of courageous humility? We can look at two, an example of these in Timothy here. And the first 
is his courageous humility or his humble courage, whichever way around you want to put it, to be trained. To be trained. Paul's calling him to go with him on his journey. To leave home comforts. To leave his mum. To leave his granny. His dad's probably dead. The way that it's described and the way the words are used in the Greek indicate that his dad is, is probably dead. So he might be the, the man of the household. But we can only assume that Lois and, and Eunice said, okay, go. But nonetheless, it's a risk. It's a big step to take. But Paul says, I'm going to take you with me. And the purpose of that was training as we go through the book of Acts. You see how, train, how he gets trained and then the letters are written later to show us the results of that training. It's quite something. It's quite something. What gets in the way of us learning from other people? What would you say? What, what kind of things are barriers to, to learning from people? What gets in the way? What would you say? What's, what gets in the way? Pride. Our own pride. Thinking we've arrived. Thinking we don't need anything else. We were there, we've arrived. Yeah. <clears throat> So you see that's like, oh, I'll get round to it one day. <coughs> Can't be bothered. I'm all right. Having biases. Sorry. As having bias. Having so a bias. Thinking because someone is of a certain type, kind, age, whatever. Okay. This person doesn't fit with me. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I could learn from somebody else, but not from this person, maybe. Mm. Yeah. What about language? Language. Okay. Practical issues can get in the way. Language can be one of those. Yeah. Lack of interest. Mm. Lack of interest. Okay. This doesn't. Create a spark in me. Maybe, yeah. Okay. A lot of things can get in the way of training. But the thing is, <laughs> Jesus said, you know, when you're fully trained, you'll be like a teacher. We all need teachers because there's lots of things for us to learn. And it might not be the teacher you think you need. In fact, I've often observed this, that the teacher I want is not the one God provides me with. He provides me with somebody very different from me or I don't even like very much in my flesh. And yet that's the person who can train me or teach me something the most. By the way, when I'm talking about training here, I'm talking about the whole gamut of what training means. I'm not talking about necessarily sitting there while someone tells you what to do. This could be mentoring, it could be coaching, it could be showing by example, it could, it's, it's broad here. It's just people we learn from, people we can learn from. And particularly in the Christian context here, how do I grow into Christ's likeness? How can I, how can I become more effective for the kingdom of God. And for me to say I don't need any training in that would make me like equal with Jesus, maybe. Like clearly I'm already Jesus, I don't need any more training. And although none of us would sit here and say, yeah, I think that's where I'm at. Sometimes our lifestyle betrays that that's a kind of a subconscious assumption because we don't go actively looking for the training. I, mean, I know Paul called Timothy here. It's not like Timothy knocked on Paul's door and said, can I go with you? Okay, maybe not. But nonetheless, he was open to it. He was willing to go. Perhaps, you know, as some of us, most of us here are quite mature people, I think, and waiting for somebody else doesn't seem the right thing, does it? As a mature Christian, you'd be like, I think you have something I could learn from. Seems to me that might be the case. I'm thinking a lot about this right now because, as I think the members of the church will know, my work with the Thames Valley Church has shifted in its focus. And it shifted specifically more into a, a, a very focused kind of training, mentoring, coaching role with people in the church there that have various roles, preaching and teaching and leading worship and planning services and leading small groups. 
And I've got these new groups, I've got two new Skype groups of, for training and, and, and mentoring. And, and this, this is all good. But I, I also need training because I haven't quite done this exact thing before. And so I'm reading books and talking to people who are doing this both in the spiritual sphere and in the secular world in a sense to, to figure out for people, people who already do this stuff. Okay, what, what do I know and what, I, what don't I know? And critically, what don't I know that I don't know? And you don't know how to find out what you don't know or you don't find out what you don't know until you talk to people who are already doing what you want to do. I hope I'm making some kind of sense with those phrases. Yeah. And there are things that you and I have not yet done in the spiritual life that we could do. Perhaps we haven't yet helped someone become a Christian. Perhaps we haven't um, passed on our, our, our training and our experience to somebody else yet. Perhaps we haven't yet raised one of our children to become a Christian. Perhaps we, perhaps we haven't yet overcome a certain barrier and challenge in our marriage. It's not like you're weird if you have a challenge or a barrier. It, there's somebody that could maybe help. And we see the spirit in Timothy of the humility that I think is quite astonishing when you consider uh, the barriers potentially to him going with Paul. Um, partnership is such a big thing. Partnerships in the Bible are all over the place. If you, whether you start with Moses and Aaron or go through to Paul and Barnabas and others. And we need those partnerships to be able to grow. So that's the first thing for us to think about is... Perhaps what areas could we use some training in, in the spiritual life? Maybe you're strong in some areas. I think we probably all are. Perhaps you're strong in your prayer life, or strong in your Bible study, or strong in your, in your openness and confession of sin, or you're strong in, you look at the, the, the fruit of the Spirit, and you look at those and you think, some of those I have reasonable strength in. But what about the ones where we're lacking? Then, then who around us might be able to give us some help with that? That's our first thought. Second thought, the courage and the humility to be refined. The courage and the humility to be refined. Now we've so far avoided the most painful part of this passage where Paul circumcises Timothy. Now we've got to ask ourselves what on earth is going on here. Timothy is a grown man. Do you know when they normally circumcise someone who's Jewish? Eight days. Eight days. Eight days. And Timothy is clearly not eight days old. <coughs> He is a grown man. A young man, but a grown man. Now, Paul says, okay, I'll, you can come with me, but... <laughs> Why? Let's think about this for a minute. Why do you think it might be that Paul said, I need to circumcise you? You, you can come with me, but got to do this first. What, what, what's the thoughts? Yes. Um, we see a pattern that every town that Paul goes to, he goes to the synagogue first. Yes. And if you're not circumcised, you can't even enter the synagogue. I'll go in. Okay. So could be one yeah. Good, good, okay. Any other thoughts? Uh, yep. Mine is binding religion. Yes. Because, because I know there are different people who face different people like, like my father, and like it's, it's, it's done um, to your children straight away because of the religion. Okay, it's because of the religion that he's following. Yeah. I think so. It can really take them more seriously by the Jews. They have a message right. to take to the Jews. It's yeah. a new covenant message. Yes. And I, me and Paul knows that we're going to get lucky yes. unless he's circumcised. Yes, yes, good, thanks. But well, there is a barrier because if people don't necessarily want to hear what you have to say, they'll pick on part of something which you can't actually divert everything over 
Right, then you'd miss the message, the whole, the whole point. That's a good point, yeah, Sean. What's he saying, do you really want to come? <laughs> 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 do you really want to come? And how humble you are, perhaps. Maybe a bit of a test. Well, for sure it must have felt like a test to Timothy, <clears throat> whether a deliberate so one from Paul. Paul didn't really do it. <laughs> What's that? No, Paul didn't really do it. Outsourced <clears throat> to an expert. He, he probably would have got a rabbi, yeah, because so, that's what rabbis do. Yeah. yeah, although he might have been trained, I don't know. It's, uh, maybe we won't go into the detail. Um, but can you imagine the conversation between Paul and Timothy, right? So Paul's having a chat with Timothy over a, um, um, a bowl of hummus or something. And, and, and he's saying, Timothy, you know, you've grown up. I'm so proud of you. Um, you know what? I have a slot and I'd love you to come with me. I'd love to train you and we can travel together. The Holy Spirit's taking you to new places. Start new church. Take the message of the gospel. And Timothy gets, you know, like he's a young man. He gets excited about this adventure. He's like, yes, Paul, I'm going to come. He says, very good, very good. He said, um, there's, just, there's just one thing. You know your dad, God rest his soul. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, he's a, he was a Greek. Right? He was a Gentile, he wasn't a Jew. Yeah, I know. And your mum, you know, she's Jewish, right? Timothy says, yeah, I know that. Which means you're actually Jewish. Because that's how it was viewed. If the mother was Jewish, then he would have been viewed as a Jew. So you are Jewish. Yeah, yeah I know that. Thing is, there's um, there's, a, there's something missing here. Um, Timothy's like, <laughs> what's that? You know, and, well, you've never been circumcised. Timothy says, well, yeah, I know. My dad when he was alive wouldn't allow it, and now I've grown up. And Paul's like, yeah, but as I think you said, when we go to new towns and cities, and you know what I did here in your hometown, I went first to the synagogue. We're going to need to go to the synagogue, and if you're coming with me, you need to come with me, and you know. Even as a God-fearer, even as a, someone born a Jew, you won't be able to come in. So Timothy's like, you're not suggesting <laughs> what I think you're suggesting, are you? Paul says, yeah, we need to go and see the rabbi. We need to have a little operation. And I, can, I, can't, I don't know, Timothy, of course it's speculation, but I, I, can, I can only imagine if it was me that I would be I think I need some time. Now think about this. Can I go and pray? Um, I, let me think. We don't know how long it took. We don't know the detail here. But what's, what strikes me as amazing about Timothy is he must have reasoned if this is going to get in the way of me being effective at bringing the gospel to new people. That okay, I, I will deal with this. I, I will go through it. It was uncomfortable, it was painful, it was, it was not in his life plan, it disrupted his life, and it's written about in this book, which has now been read for 2,000 years, and, and all of that is exposed to, the, to every human being has ever read it, and his situation, eh? what humility? It reminds me of 1 Corinthians 9, let's turn over there for a moment. 1 Corinthians 9, which incidentally is the very first passage I ever spoke on in church as a young Christian. So it's always stuck with me ever since. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19. Paul's writing into the Corinthians, 
And I think he's thinking about things a bit like what Timothy does here. First Timothy, sorry, First Corinthians 9, verse 19. Though I'm free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. To, to win the weak, I have become all things, to all men, all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. This spirit of I will be what I need to be so that other people can become Christians is, a, is an amazing display of courageous humility. And we see that uh, def- exp- um, uh, revealed in a sense in Timothy. A courageous humility to do whatever is necessary so that he can not be hindered from helping other people be saved. I find this very humbling to think about this. What am I prepared to do? What am I prepared to change and be different in so that I can help my neighbours and my friends become Christians? What, What comforts am I prepared to put on one side? What pain am I willing to endure for the sake of other people's salvation? My home is comfortable. Um, especially in weather like this. It's warm and it's dry. It's much more pleasant to stay at home. It's much more pleasant to run my own schedule the way I want to. I contacted an old university friend of mine this week, having read this and thought about this, who's been saying we must get together forever. He doesn't live too far away. So I messaged him this week to say, let's get together next week. So we'll hopefully work that out. It's a small thing. But I need to think, that's an evening now I'm going to spend out next week that I wouldn't have spent out and I could be in my nice warm home and more comfortable, right? We, it's a small thing, but put, making decisions to, to deny ourselves some comfort or ease or, or simplicity of life for the sake of others should be part, habitually part of our lives. It's not I need to be out every night or every... It's not, that's not the point. It's, it's taking steps to say whatever I need to do. I want to show you a video clip of somebody who definitely stepped outside their comfort zone uh, in this way. It's a clip of a sermon preached last Sunday in Thames Valley by Ben Dannett, but he asked his sister, Alice, to share as part of his sermon. And she's talking about her days as a university student. She graduated recently. And when she lived in a certain, I think in a dorm, in a hall of residence, and she ran a Bible discussion uh, there. And her struggles with that. And I think it's quite funny, but quite in, uh, encouraging and, um, uh, and inspiring as well. So let me show you that clip and then let's see what you think of it all. Hi everyone. Um, in case you didn't realise, Ben and I are opposites in terms of relationship things. And while Ben was put in a bin for not staring at school, I would be sort of quietly. <laughs> <laughs> I was more likely to not swear and then when someone eventually asked me I just sort of went red and stammered, oh well never got the habit <laughs> So I never said it's for God like Ben did. But anyway, um, but one of the things that I think comes with being more relationship based is being a people pleaser. I don't know if anyone relates to that. Um, so when I went to a university in Bristol, um, all I really wanted to do was just fit in with everyone else in my halls and just kind of um, you know, just be like all the other students. Um, but I decided before I went that I would try and have a Bible discussion when I was there. 
Um, and I'm really glad I decided before I went, because when I got there, I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I used to, I had, I had them uh, in my room in the halls, and I would, I remember I would really, I would look at the clock the day before, and we all ate in the dining room together, and I would look at the clock the day before and think, oh, 24 hours, this will all be over. <laughs> and I would have to invite the <laughs> And I would, and then I, I remember I would sometimes, it was at 8 o'clock, and I would at about 7.58, I'd think, oh my gosh, no one's going to come. And then I'd think, well, that's good if they don't. <laughs> I don't have to have a discussion. Um, and I would sort of walk a lot around the corridors, feeling very nervous. Um, but then I would, but actually God was great, you know, and, and um, luckily I had a great lot of friends in my halls and people came along who weren't religious at all. I remember I said to one boy, oh, you know, I'm, I am having a Bible discussion tonight. And he said, oh, I love religious education. I'll come. <laughs> that was my favourite subject at school. <laughs> and, um, but it was great because actually, you know, although I really hated the process of having the discussions, and they were never more than about 10 minutes long. And at the end, I'd sort of just be like, let's have some biscuits. And talk about something else. <laughs> and pretend you haven't had a Bible discussion. <laughs> through that discussion a lot of friends did come along and they, people got to know that I was a Christian. Um, Alex came along obviously um, already coming from a background of having faith and with God working in his life and that was a great way for him to um, just get to kind of clarify I think some of just like just exactly what being a Christian is um, and obviously that wasn't something I'd expected and, and it was a way that God rewarded me for um, giving up my people-pleasing nature, which still comes back very strongly most of the time. <laughs> um, but we like becoming a Christian. So, yeah, that's one thing to me. She knows she's a people-pleaser and that she's petrified. She's, in her flesh, she's petrified of people knowing she's even a Christian. Though she's proud to be a Christian in one sense, but the idea of being in a hall of residence, everybody knowing you're kind of the religious nut, mm -hmm. and inviting people into your room and having these Bible discussions, which she said generally were 10 minutes long, and then she wanted to kind of move on. And she had that fear, but she was encouraged by others to say, you know, you really, this is a great opportunity God's given you. So make the most of it by having a regular Bible discussion. And then Alex came along, as you mentioned, who became a Christian, and is now her boyfriend. And it's not like that, it's always the way things work out, but there's some, something that happened good because of her taking her courage in her hands and she was terrified and there are things we're all terrified to do talking to our neighbors or talking to our friends about our faith or perhaps in your own home having a bible discussion or having some people over to talk about spiritual issues i don't know what it is for you i think i'm thinking about maybe we should do something in our home that's what's on my mind at the moment i bumped into the neighbor that you met this week, remember we had a conversation, and he was lovely and friendly, and uh, he he knew my name. Like you bumped into my neighbour what two months, three months ago, yeah. ages ago, and he bumped into me today. He was chatting the other day, this week, and he knew my name. He knew Penny's name. He knew you. He knew. It's like wow. So it, you had an impression on him. Mm -hmm. well, what's next? Mm -hmm. mm, he's my neighbour. He lives at 132. I think it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. So let's have him over. So, in one way, I want to do that. In another way, I don't. I've got other things I, I want to do. I mean, right? So, I need to be thinking about this. I am thinking about this. Maybe we all need to be thinking a bit more about this. What barriers do we have 
that prevent us from being the most effective we can be for God? What, might, what opportunities is God giving us where we can exercise some courageous humility and then see what he does, like he did with Timothy? I appreciate what Alice shared there. So let me wrap up by saying, you know, the end of this in verse 5, after all has been happening here, the churches are strengthened in their faith and grew daily in numbers. There's a lot of good reasons for that. It's not only the things we're talking about today, but they are strengthened in the faith and grow daily in numbers. And at least part of the reason for that is because the people of that day, the disciples of that time, had to and got used to and had a culture of courageous humility. If there's anything else we can do, if there's nothing else we should do, we should do at least be courageous in our humility. And the great thing about that, two things that are great about that, Firstly, it doesn't take any skill. There are a lot of things in life that take skill. Courage and humility don't take any skill. It's all about the heart. And the second good thing about it is, if we step out in faith, God will increase our courage and God will increase our humility and he will bless our humility because he says that he blesses those who humble themselves before him. First Peter 5. So, it's a challenge, but God's with us. I encourage us to take an example from terrific Timothy and develop the best courageous humility we can. To God be the glory. And I have. Thank you very much. Alright, finish with one more song.